Warning. The following contains massive spoilers for the designated series. Listener discretion is advised. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. You're listening to the Television Archive, the show where we, the television-loving hordes of the internet, take a deep dive into what used to be in our beloved media. My name is Thomas Clark, and this is Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. My brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe... Aang can save the world. Today we will be discussing The Legend of Korra, Season 1, Episode 12, titled Endgame. The season finale. This is the end of Season 1, the end of the Equalist storyline, and it is... Excellent! This is a fantastic finale. Hey, we got some alliteration there. Oh, this is a really, really fantastic episode. So, first two-thirds of it, mostly one big action sequence, uh, divided into two parts, uh, the airfield and, of course, the rally. Uh, We'll start with the airfield This is a fantastic sequence. Like, of course, in its action, but also, more significantly, in the character development for Asami in particular. So, we get the airfield, Bolin, Asami, and General Iroh all there. And they have this plan to tear up all the runways, and they're like, Hey, why is there some fence posts, but no (laughs) fence... Uh, that was my electrocuted noise. In case anyone was wondering. It's not great, I know. It's not. It's not great. Anyway, they go into an electric fence and get captured immediately. Because they're idiots. So they're in this little prison cell. And, like, they wake up to Hiroshi Sato just... Talking to Asami like, man, I, I know I hurt you, but uh, you're you're wrong and you're dumb, and I hope you come to your senses one day because benders are evil. And Asami basically says, "No, screw you. Mom would hate you for what you've become." And then Hiroshi just blows up at this. And just, it's having none of it. Like, he gets really furious at this notion that this path he went on because of his wife being killed by a bender. That she would hate him for what he has done going forward. And there's also this really magnificent reveal of Hiroshi Sato having intercepted the wire from Iroh to Bumi, and he knows where the fleet is. So they're about to go and annihilate their reinforcements, their second wave of reinforcements. 
So Hiroshi Sato and Ko all go to do that. Uh, and then Naga runs in and breaks open the jail cell. And it's awesome. It's really, really, it's really badass. It's really, really incredibly badass. Uh, so then we get this big, epic action sequence uh, where Iroh hijacks a plane and gets into this big, elaborate dogfight. And it's really cool. It's really awesome. I love everything about it. I especially love how he switches from plane to plane. How, like, the equalists target the plane he's in, and then he gets out and does that little firebending flying trick to another plane and hijacks that plane. Like, it's cool. Like, it's this brilliant meshing of a typical plane dogfight with the mechanics of firebending, with the mechanics existing in this world of firebending. They merge those two things together in a really clever, really inventive way. And then, of course, this ends with the plane that Iroh is in at that moment, the last plane just going towards the statue, like hurtling towards the Aang statue, and Iroh just getting out and catching himself on this Equalist flag, and the plane, like, knocks the Amon mask off the Aang statue. And I was like, thanks for looking out for me, Aang. Oh, it's awesome. It's so, so badass. Meanwhile, back at the runway, uh, back at the airfield, uh, Bolin is tearing up these runways. Uh, some mechs come at him, and Naga <laughs> takes them out in the most badass way possible. And then meanwhile, Asami hijacks a mech herself. What do you know? Just like a Future Industries forklift. Like, she gets it immediately. And then as she's destroying some Equalist aircraft, Hiroshi shows up in a mech himself. And they have this really gut-wrenching mech fight. This really amazing, really gut-wrenching mech fight where... Father and daughter are throwing mechanized punches at one another and also dealing through this, like, huge family turmoil. At one point, Hiroshi has Asami on the ground and is just, just beating on her mech over and over again. And it's like, I see now there is no saving you. And, like, there's a moment where Hiroshi just, like, completely abandons the she's my daughter, I have to protect her, and goes full-on, you are an enemy, I need to destroy you, mode. And, like, seeing the culmination of this whole arc with Asami and her father, like, it's really, really amazing. It's an extraordinary payoff to that whole character arc. Uh, Bo Lennon comes in at one point, hurls rocks at Hiroshi's mech, and just yells out, Mr. Sato, you are a horrible father! And Asami, like, a minute later, kind of agrees, like, you really are a horrible father. 
and just without even thinking twice, just launches that electrified disc at him and just captures Hiroshi. So now Hiroshi's down. That's that whole airfield sequence out of the way. Then you also have the rally sequence. Which is even more insane. Which is even more well done. Like, it immediately starts off with Amon coming in and the pro-bending arena. And talking about giving his origin story, quote-unquote, about the firebender that killed his family and left him scarred. And Korra just makes a grand entrance and is like, yeah, that's a lie. Tarlock is named Noatok, or Amon is named Noatok. He is the brother of Tarlock, the son of Yakone, and he is a waterbender and a bloodbender. They basically have this, like, debate. And Amon, like, oh my god, I just realized. This is, this is a modern day presidential debate. And Amon is Trump in this situation. Korra is like, here is some truths that anyone close to Amon will tell you are accurate. Amon, fake news. Uh, it's fake news. Oh, the, the, the liberal media, the bending media. <laughs> the bending media and their conspiracy theories. It's fake news. And it's this really, really amazing sequence. I especially love when Amon takes his mask off and he has his quote-unquote scars across his face. And that's proof. That's proof that Amon was attacked by a firebender because that proves everything. And the Equalists immediately, because they're so blinded by Amon, are like, yeah, screw you, Korra, you're... An evil avatar, you are still trying to oppress us. Ah. And then, who comes up from the stage? Tenzin, Jinora, Iki, Milo. All the airbenders. On the stage. And Amon is about to take their bending away. Amon is about to eradicate all of airbending. Uh, no! And, and you get this really, really tense moment where it's just like, oh my... They got away. We, we saw them get away. And you're just terrified for Tenzin. Terrified for his kids. Both on a personal level and on the macro scale of airbending is about to become extinct. If we don't stop them on. So you get this epic fight on the stage. Uh, Korra manages to free all of them. Uh, this really, really fantastic fight. Uh, they then start running away. Prison break! Ah, uh, they end up splitting up. Tenzin and the kids go to find Pema and the baby. 
Mako and Korra start going up against them on. There's this whole chase that happens. Uh, and then at one point, Korra and Mako are hiding from Amon as Amon just sort of just sort of lurks around. And it becomes a straight up horror movie for a few minutes. Like you get this really tense, really terrifying sequence. And then Amon out of nowhere just starts bloodbending Korra. Bloodbends Korra out from under the table she's hiding under. And you just get those terrifying contortions in there. Uh, Mako tries to save Korra. He gets bloodbent too. And you end up getting this moment where, as Mako and Korra are being held in place by bloodbending, Amon takes Korra's bending away. Amon has completed his plan and has taken the bending of the Avatar. Korra's earth bending, gone. Korra's water bending, gone. Korra's fire bending, gone. Her connections to the elements have been severed. And they give you this overwhelming sense of defeat. Like, oh god, Amon. Amon just won. Amon just defeated Korra. Amon just overcame Korra. The bad guy has won this battle. Like, it's soul crushing. It really, really is. And then, of course, Lieutenant shows up, and we get this amazing moment where he's just like, everything she said is true. I just saw you bloodbend her. I devoted my life to you, you traitor. And then just lashes out and starts to, like, try and electrify him, and then he gets eviscerated immediately. Uh, Mako overcomes Amon's bloodbending in a really badass way. Uh, they try to leave. They try to run. Amon is still bloodbending blood bending Mako. And then, in trying to save Mako, Korra airbends. In a moment where all other opportunities, all other options have been completely evaporated. Something clicks. Something clicks inside of herself, and now she is suddenly an airbender. She uses airbending to defeat Amon. She unleashes all these air blasts on him, and then launches Amon into the water, where his mask is ripped off, the scar face paint washes away and out of and out of pure instinct out of pure 100% instinct 
Amon launches into this water cyclone, this water tornado, this, like, spinny water vortex, and accidentally reveals that Korra was telling the truth, Amon is indeed a waterbender, and the revolution is based on a complete lie. So great. So great. Oh, that's an amazing scene. I love that moment of Amon's instincts betraying himself. His own survival instincts betrayed himself. It's great. It's an amazing falling on your own sword defeat. And at that point, Korra doesn't have to do anything else. Like, Noah Talk just looks around and is like, Yeah, I just lost. And runs away. Like the coward he is. So, yeah. The Avatar's bending has been taken away. He succeeded in that. But his whole revolution has been undermined. Even in victory, he has been defeated. And then we get... Easily the greatest scene in this entire season. Amon goes to Tarlock. Frees him from his cell and offers to him, come with me. Let's run away now as we should have years ago. And they do. And then as Korra is mourning the loss of her bending, as we are taking a sigh of relief after Amon's defeat, as Boomy is showing up, Commander Boomy is showing up, and Tenzin's like, "Oh, now I have to entertain my brother. As this fairly innocent stuff is happening... Amon and Tarlock are on a frickin' speedboat. Which, by the way, that exists in this universe now. They're in a speedboat. They're sailing away. Noah talks talking about how great it is that he and his brother are reunited again. And while Noah talk is celebrating, Tarlock takes an electric glove, removes a fuel cap, electrifies the fuel, and blows them both up. Do I dare do two slow claps in one episode? I dare. Because this scene is worth it. This scene, just on its own, is perfection. This scene, just on its own, is absolutely extraordinary. Oh my god. Everything about this, it's it's incredible. It, it, it really, really is. It's an absolutely extraordinary moment. One that is completely etched in my brain forever. And will never go away. 
Like, it is heartwarming, yet dark as all hell at the same time. You show our main villain, like, our main villain gets a happy ending, followed by him being brutally murdered in an explosion. That type of send-off does not happen often. Like, our villain being genuinely happy and genuinely having everything he could ever want as his brother murders him while killing himself in a huge explosion. And it's a great send-off for Tarlock as well as he in its final moments redeems himself by ridding the world of Yakone's bloodline. Ridding the world of two horrible, horrible people. Himself and his brother. Ridding the world of two people that it would be better off without. And he knows he is a terrible person. He knows his brother is a terrible person. He knows if he lets the sons of Yakon continue to live, then Republic City will never be safe. The world will never be safe. So he stops it in its tracks. It's beautiful. It's beautiful in every possible way. I could go on for an hour just about all the nuance of this one scene. All the untold depth of this one scene. It's extraordinary. Uh, But then we finish it off with the South Pole sequence with a perfect, perfect ending. Uh, Everyone's in the South Pole hoping desperately that Korra's bending gets restored. Katara comes out and says, yeah, I can't do it. I can't heal her. Korra can still airbend. But her connection to the other elements have, have been severed. Completely. So now Korra has to deal... With the ultimate question, who is she if she's not the Avatar? And she's absolutely terrified by that prospect. This thing that has defined her her entire life. Her entire life, more than anyone else's, has been defined by her bending. She is a freaking Avatar. The whole point of her existence is to be a bender. But now that's gone. So she runs off. And yeah, we get a little bit of kind of stupid melodrama with Mako where he's like, I love you, Korra. And Korra's like, I can't do this. But it lasts like 30 seconds and it's not a huge deal. And then Korra just runs off to the edge of the ice land bit. Is hanging out on the edge of some ice cliff. And we see some dude in airbender robes. In airbender garb. Show up next to her. We think it's Tenzin. She thinks it's Tenzin. But then we pan up and we realize. It's Aang. Aang has shown up. To talk to Korra. And for the first time. Korra in the absence of. Of 
her earth bending, her water bending, and her fire bending has finally formed a connection with her spiritual self. Her getting her bending taken away turned out to be exactly what she needed to fill in the blanks as an avatar, to get air bending, to get that connection to the spiritual side of herself, to unlock the avatar state, even. And Aang has this amazing line of, when we reach our lowest point, that is what creates great change. I butchered that line, almost certainly, but it was something along those lines. And then Aang restores Korra's bending. Aang restores Korra's bending. She goes into the Avatar state. She does this magnificent display of power. Mako, having watched the whole thing, is like looking on it and smiling. Korra says, I love you too, and they kiss. And then... Our final little vignette is Korra restoring Lin's bending. So Chief Beifong is now an earthbender again. And it's awesome. And Tenza goes up to her, says, I'm so proud of you, Avatar Korra. And then it ends. Which, fun fact, this was originally supposed to be a miniseries. When they went into Legend of Korra, they conceived a bit of it as a 12-episode miniseries, beginning, middle, and end, 12 episodes, full stop, and then it'd be over. It was supposed to be a limited engagement, but it ended up being so well-received, so popular, and took on such a life of its own that they were like, hey, you know what? Let's... Let's do another three seasons of this. Why not? Let's do a season two. Let's do a season three. Let's do a season four. And they did. But originally, this was supposed to be the series finale. This was supposed to be how the whole show ended. And I can definitely see that when watching it. I can definitely understand how that would have been. And I think, honestly, it could end there. You could just not sit through seasons two, three, and four, and feel satisfied by the end of this first season. But I am glad they did continue it, because they do some really cool stuff over the next few seasons. Even season two, which, as I've alluded to in the past, is not as good. But they did some really cool stuff going forward, and I'm glad this series became a full-fledged thing. Uh, but yeah, that's the end of season one. That's the end of the Equist storyline. Really, really good start to this show. Uh, it's not perfect. Has issues. Mainly the excessive melodrama, as I've mentioned a bunch of times. Also, meh, I would have liked them to spend time out of Republic City and not just be in Republic City every single second. But that's a minor nitpick, especially compared to the legitimate flaw of the excessive melodrama. So, it's not perfect, it's not great, it's not on the level of the original series at any point in its run, but it's still really, really good. It's still a really phenomenal start uh, to a series that definitely gained a life on, of its own very, very quickly, and for good reason. 
Uh, but yeah, tomorrow we start off season two. That should be a thing that exists. Not gonna say any more than that. Until tomorrow, because, uh, yeah. Season 2 has some rough patches. Let's just say that. Uh, if you like this, favorite the podcast, anchor.fm slash TV archives, so that you can be here every single Monday through Friday as I go through every single episode of this and other shows. And you can find it on pretty much whatever podcatcher app you prefer. Feel free to call in as well. It's as simple as just a push of a button. On the Anchor app, I will play those on the show from time to time, if you feel so inclined to send those in. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, TomTom4468, and support the show. Patreon.com slash Thomas Clark, pledge just a dollar a month. I appreciate everything I get through there. Or, if that doesn't work for you, you can also support the show directly via Anchor. I appreciate that as well. Uh, Tomorrow we will be discussing The Legend of Korra Season 2, Episode 1. Talk to you then.